0: everyone and welcome to the July 22nd edition of the WorkCop Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Skirin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. Data released this week by a federal court in Ohio as part of a far-reaching opioid case shows that companies distributed 8.4 billion hydrocodone and oxycodone pills to commercial pharmacies in 2006, and 12.6 billion pills in 2012. That's an increase of over 50%. Over that seven-year period, 76 billion pills were distributed in all. The Washington Post had sued along with another outlet, HD Media, to obtain this data. The shipments increased even after one of the companies, Purdue Pharma, was leveled with a $635 million federal fine in 2007, for falsely claiming its drug, OxyContin, was not as addictive as earlier opioids. While OxyContin is the best-known prescription opioid, the new data shows that Purdue accounted for just 3% of pills sold during that time. Three makers of generic drugs accounted for nearly 90% of the sales. The data tracks a dozen different opioids, including Oxycodone and Hydrocodone. The distribution data is maintained by the DEA and is a key element of lawsuits filed by more than 2,000 state, local, and tribal governments seeking to hold drug companies accountable for the crisis. One company, Amerisource Bergen, said the data offers a very misleading picture. A Cleveland-based U.S. District judge who is overseeing most of the cases ruled that the data could be made public. He said in a ruling that there is clearly no basis for shielding older data. The Court of Appeal allowed an employer to escape a state compensation insurance fund premium default judgment. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Creditor's Adjustment Bureau versus CityGuard. After the state fund provided a workers' compensation insurance policy to CityGuard, they conducted a payroll audit and determined City Guard owed additional premiums. After CityGuard failed to pay the back premiums, the state fund assigned the debt to a collection agency, Creditor's Adjustment Bureau, for collection. Creditors filed a complaint in Superior Court which alleged City Guard breached the contract by failing to pay its premiums and sought $167,000 in damages. A process server served the summons and complaint on Sami Nomer, the owner and registered agent for service of process for CityGuard, by substituted service on Pauline Chavez, the person apparently in charge at City Guard's business address. The process server then mailed copies of the documents to City Guard at the same address. And after the deadline to file a responsive pleading had passed, creditors mailed a letter addressed to Nomair advising him that creditors would request a default if an answer was not filed within seven days. Creditors then filed a request for entry of default, which it served on City Guard, and the court clerk entered the default. Creditors then filed a request for entry of judgment, which it served by mail on City Guard at their Corbin Street address, and the trial court entered a default judgment against City Guard. Then City Guard filed a motion under Civil Code Code of Civil Procedure Section 473 to vacate the default and default judgment on the grounds of mistake, inadvertence, and excusable neglect. In his declaration, Nomer stated he was not aware that a lawsuit had been filed. He said he was shocked and surprised to find out that there was a default judgment taken against his company and said he was rarely in the office from mid-August to mid-September because he was caring for his disabled aunt. After hearing, the trial court granted City Guard's motion to vacate the default and default judgment. Creditors appealed this order, and the Court of Appeal affirmed the trial court in the unpublished case. The Court of Appeal concluded that, notwithstanding conflicting evidence presented by creditors, The trial court did not abuse its discretion in granting Citigard's motion for relief. In our crime report. Prosecutors charged Miami Lucan, Incorporated, and four people with conspiring to distribute controlled substances in the second US criminal case against a drug distributor over its role in a crisis that has killed hundreds of thousands of people. The indictment charged the Springboro, Ohio-based company, Anthony Rattini, its former president, James Barley, Miami Lucan's former compliance officer, and two pharmacists. The company shipped millions of pills to rural, rural Appalachia, where the opioid epidemic was at its peak including 3.7 million hydrocodone pills from 2008 to 2011, to a pharmacy in Kermit, West Virginia, a town of just 400 people. Miami Lucan, which closed in October, made more than $173 million in consolidated sales between 2008 and 2015, by supplying drugs to 200 pharmacies in Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana, and Tennessee. Federal prosecutors in Manhattan in April brought the first opioid-related criminal case against a distributor, Upstate New York's Rochester Drug Cooperative Incorporated. The company paid $20 million then to resolve the charges. Dolphus Duane Pierce, a chiropractor, and Thomas Ballesteros Rios, a physician operating under their company P&R Med Legal Medical Corporation, conspired with others to defraud various workers' compensation insurance carriers. PNR contracted with physicians to perform cursory, if any, examinations of workers' compensation patients at chiropractic clinics. And then dispense prepackaged medications to these patients with little or no regard for their medical need. Pierce and Rios contracted with a company to prepare and submit canned medical reports and bills to the workers' compensation insurance carriers. These bills sought payment for the medications dispensed and for services related to the dispensing of medications, some of which were not performed and some more costly than the services actually performed by the physician. After p and shut down, Pierce and Rios contracted with another company to rebuild the insurance carriers for services initially billed by P&R earlier. In 2012, Pierce and six co-defendants were charged by a grand jury indictment with conspiracy to commit insurance fraud and related charges. The physician, Thomas Rios, pled guilty and testified for the prosecution. And in 2016, a jury returned a verdict of guilty on one count against the chiropractor Pierce, and he was placed on probation for five years with the condition that he serve one year in the county jail and pay $770,000 in restitution. Chiropractor Pierce appealed his conviction raising numerous issues, but the Court of Appeal affirmed the conviction in the unpublished case of People v. Pierce. The Court found no merit to any of the issues raised by Dolphus Pierce, the chiropractor. 42-year-old Kia Zolfagari of San Francisco pleaded guilty for his role in a conspiracy to distribute fentanyl as well as to related weapons and money laundering charges. Fentanyl is a Schedule II controlled substance and is a highly potent opiate that can be diluted with cutting agents to create counterfeit pills. The counterfeits attempt to mimic the effects of oxycodone, and can typically be obtained at a lower cost than genuine oxycodone. Zolfagari admitted to buying a pill press, using it to manufacture pills, and selling the pills principally online. He stamped the pills in a manner consistent with genuine oxycodone, and advertised the pills as oxycodone. But the pills did not contain oxycodone and instead contained fentanyl. One of his co-conspirators assisted him in the operation by packaging and mailing the pills, as well as cleaning up after he manufactured them. Another co-conspirator assisted him by maintaining a post office box for the delivery of fentanyl powder that he used to make the pills and, by delivering the powder that arrived in that post office box. Zulfagari admitted that over the course of the conspiracy, he made over $400,000 through his sales and sold at least 13,000 fentanyl pills. He also pleaded guilty to money laundering the proceeds of the drug trafficking operation. For example, he arranged to be paid in the digital currency Bitcoin, and used unlicensed Bitcoin brokers to exchange the Bitcoin for cash. His sentencing is scheduled for November 2019, when he faces a maximum sentence of life in prison, and a $10 uh, $10 million fine for the fentanyl charge. In 2017, he jumped bail, and failed to appear for a hearing in this case. And in 2018, the court sentenced his wife and co-defendant, 43-year-old Chandalaria Dagandan Vasquez, who was also a fugitive at the time, to 151 months' imprisonment. In February 2019, the United States Marshals Service, together with the Mexican Federal Police, located Zofagari and Vasquez in Mexico. Vasquez is currently serving her sentence in the custody of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Also prosecuted for his role in the drug distribution scheme was 37-year-old King Edward Harris II of Oxnard. Harris was sentenced to five years in prison for possession and distribution of 40 grams or more of fentanyl. And in another case, federal prosecutors say that San Diego is a gateway for fentanyl. And defendant April Spring, a U.S. citizen living in Tijuana, admitted, that's April Spring Kelly, admitted that she smuggled more than 450,000 fentanyl pills from Mexico into the United States during 2018. The pills were smuggled through ports of entry in San Diego and Nogales, Arizona, for distribution to mid-level distributors in San Diego and Phoenix. Kelly also admitted to attempting to smuggle 36 pounds of methamphetamine, 38 pounds of cocaine, and 12 pounds of powdered fentanyl in her vehicle when she was arrested by U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials. Sentencing is scheduled for October 2019. Prosecutors in the case say that San Diego is the gateway for fentanyl to the rest of the country. And they are working aggressively to close that gateway, one smuggler and one distributor at a time. And in medical news, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that U.S. overdose deaths dropped last year for the first time in nearly two decades. They claim this is a sign that a nationwide epidemic of drug-related death is abating. About 68,500 Americans died of a drug overdose in 2018, compared with about 72,000 the year before, and this is a 5% decrease. The drop marks the first time that the number of overdose-related deaths has fallen since 1999. Some physicians describe the decrease as encouraging, but not worthy of celebrating, since overdose deaths are only one method to measure the epidemic. The number of people still battling substance abuse is another crucial metric in evaluating the progress in fighting the opioid epidemic, and that data is not included in the new CDC figures. But the number of people with a substance use disorder has also dropped, According to the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, an estimated 19.7 million American adults battled a substance use disorder in 2017, compared with 20.1 million in 2016, the year before. While the number of overdose deaths as a whole fell, the CDC data shows that deaths involving cocaine and psychostimulants like methamphetamine and MDMA have actually risen from 2017 to 2018. And in other news, Democratic presidential candidate Kamala Harris unveiled a plan to crack down on pharmaceutical companies which overcharge for prescription drugs. The announcement makes her the latest 2020 White House candidate to seize on this issue. Harris said her proposal would dramatically lower drug costs by allowing the federal government to set fair prices for what companies can charge and forcing them to pay rebates to consumers for medicines sold at artificially high rates. Debate over the future of the U.S. healthcare care system has become a focal point of the Democratic nominating contest. Democrats exploited the issue in last year's midterm congressional elections and believed it helped them regain control of the House of Representatives. Harris's proposal follows plans by several of her Democratic rivals to lower drug costs. They are keen to exploit the issue after Republican President Donald Trump backed down this month from a policy aimed at getting drug companies to lower costs. Former Vice President Joe Biden touted a plan at a forum on Monday that would repeal the law that prohibits Medicare from negotiating lower prices with drug companies. So that is all of our news and our events this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the Work Comp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on the Amazon website. Again, I'm Renee Folds with Floyd, Skaron, Minukian, Langeman. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.